Well, hello, folks. Welcome to another episode of Surviving Empathy. I am your host, Brian Russell of Chef Bry Comedy, and you can always reach us at Chef Bry Comedy. That's B-R-Y. And you can reach Rebecca at Spooky Nerdy Gal. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about uh, how to remap your brain and your thinking in order to achieve greater comfort and happiness. Easier said than done, right? But uh, we've got a lot of techniques here for people, uh, whether you're an empath or whether you perhaps just have a little bit of depression or maybe you're just stressed out, you know, but we're going to tell you guys uh, what we've learned in our research and how to achieve uh, a better balance in your life so that you um, can, can really battle uh, all of the traumas, all of the grief, all the depression and sadness, all the bad things that have happened in your life. How do we take those things and somehow come out the other end a happier person? So that's what this episode is all about. I've got my lovely wife, Rebecca, here as co-host. And so grab yourself a drink, grab yourself a snack, get cozy. It's a, a cozy, quiet, gray day here in the Pacific Northwest. And so we hope you guys are doing well. And I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello again, folks. Welcome to another episode of Surviving Empathy. I am your host, Brian Russell. And today I have my lovely wife, Rebecca, and she's going to co-host with me today. Say hello to the folks, please. Hello, everyone. So today, ladies and gentlemen, um, you know, I've noticed lately that uh, we are... um, seeming to make the most headway with the mental health stuff. And I figure since it's kind of the holiday season, this seems to be the time where people have the most, you know, uh, problems with mental health. You know, Uh, it seems like everybody with a past has some trauma attached to Christmas or Thanksgiving or something. And, uh, and, and plus it's winter, you know, the vibe changes, Um, you know, Christmas, caroling and Christmas lights helps and all that, but doesn't always take away that day-to-day, you know, uh, rut that we feel sometimes that winter kind of, you know, just throws us in these ruts, you know, and so I wa- I thought this would be a really good time. Uh, we're going to try to ta- ta- tackle this topic in the most kind of like upbeat and positive way possible because I really don't want this to start going dark, you know, um, but it's a, it's a very serious topic, and the topic is uh, depression and anxiety, trauma, grief, intrusive thoughts, uh, procrastination, and how do we remap our thoughts in order to remap our happiness, okay? Because there's a, there's a term called neuroplasticity, and what that is essentially is uh, it's, it's your brain's ability uh, to remap itself over time and we can do that through a host of ways and so we'll go into that a little bit later um but the truth of the matter is is that um you know we are not uh professionals at this we are not psychologists we are not psychiatrists uh all we are are a couple of empaths that have a little bit of situational depression I think Rebecca has a smidgen of chemical depression and she, she takes meds for it. Uh, I myself, uh, take ashwagandha and herbs and things. And I do a lot of physical activities to help me conquer my, uh, battles, if you will. But, uh, I, I have a touch of, you know, trauma and PTSD, uh, likely caused from a, a violent 
incident that happened when I was young. Um, I was hospitalized, but uh, I've told you guys that in a previous episode, how I, I was stabbed. Um, and it, that plus a few other things caused a little bit of, uh, you know, trauma in me. I think we all deal with trauma. I think the older we get, the more traumatized we become. Everybody's got a some fucked up story, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of like this episode to be uh, thoughtful and helpful. But I kind of want to not turn this into some, you know, negative, dark crying fest, you know, like I'm hoping that we can do this in such a way where it becomes helpful for people, especially empaths, especially uh, depressives and introverts. Um, I think there's a lot of similarity between creative, sensitive people, you know, and whatever you want to call that, you want to call that introverts, you want to call that sensitives, you want to call that depressives, uh, we're just all, you know, we're that creative crowd. We're the gloomy gusses that, uh, just think too much, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, um, let me look at my list here. We've got a bunch of things here and we're just going to kind of go in a natural order. Um, but the first thing, uh, I wanted to talk about is intrusive thoughts, stubborn thoughts, and learning to let go. So, um, I get intrusive thoughts so often. Um, it could be when I'm flying and I'm thinking about plane crashes. That's fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, or you know, or, or you know, or, or you're just looking at something and then that reminds you of something else. You know, um, you know, and those intrusive thoughts come a lot of times when, we, and we're not even sure why or how it's happening. Because for me. Like back in the day, when I was growing up, uh, we moved to a town called Reading. And um, by the time we ended up moving from that place, I could not look at one city block of that place without some. It reminded me of something negative. Too many parties, too much alcohol, too many drugs, too much. Uh, I saw too much, too many violent encounters, not necessarily myself, but others trying to attack me. Uh, there was crazies there. There was just like crackheads and meth heads and tweakers. And so I just saw way too much in that time. I saw heroin addicts. I saw dumpster divers. It was just a fucking shit show. And, you know, I have some fond memories of that place. In fact, I have a few friends from there and they're lovely people. You know, my friend, Sean, uh, he and his partner, uh, Paul, great guys. Mm -hmm. And so there are good people from there, but, um, but I have a lot of negative memories attached to that place. And I'm just using it as an example um, because it was back in the nineties and it was just a different place then, you know, since remember when we drove through there and it was quite lovely. Yeah, it was. You know, yeah. so, you know, so, but, um, but that's the thing about memory and that's the thing about trauma is that trauma, you know, it goes into the whole um, thing of memory Memory is a double-edged sword. Um, it causes grief. It causes uh, guilt and shame. It causes uh, all kinds of negative emotions. Uh, but the biggest one is probably anxiety. Anytime we were traumatized by something in the past, we have this tendency to commemorate it or memorialize it. You know, like our friend, um, I won't say her name, uh, but in this case, she was uh, she was raped on a holiday, Thanksgiving, and uh, that's awful. And and so now every time Thanksgiving happens, she has to deal with 
those impending thoughts, those memories being attached to what is supposed to be the time of our lives where we're feeling most grateful. And so how can you feel grateful when you're also dealing with all this uh, trauma and um, depression from the past? And so, um, but that's such a common thing, you know, and I wanted to kind of talk about that because it reminds me of like, I remember uh, with, uh, was it Annabelle? Uh, We had two girls, two cats. They passed away in 2019. And uh, we were dealing with grief over that for a long time. And every time we saw a picture of them pop up on our little uh, Google Nest hubs, our little picture, you know, viewers, uh, at first we couldn't do it. I got to a point where I had to turn off all the cats, like every cat, just turn it off. I didn't want to see it because I didn't want to be reminded of my, because I was having guilt thinking that maybe I didn't do enough and this and that. And of course, you know, I came to terms with that and realized that we did, we went so above and beyond. I mean, we probably made Abby live way longer than she was supposed to because she had that upper respiratory thing. But the point is, you guys, is that um, I just had a a hard time at first dealing with the trauma of losing our, our cats. And while they are just cats, you know, um, they're your kids, you know? And, um, and so that goes into um, memory. Memory is just one of those double-edged swords, you know, because on the one hand, uh, memories can be fond and uh, delightful. And then the thing is, is that we have photographic memories to a point where you might look at one thing and that'll remind you of a completely different thing. It's like, oh, when I see that tree, it reminds me of the time that uh, Billy beat me up when I was seven. <laughs> like what? You know, you know, random trains of thought. Yeah. Yeah. That mm-hmm. that domino effect. This leads to this leads to this leads to this. And so um, the thing I wanted to say about memory, though, is that for me, like with our girls, with the cats, you know, it, it actually got to a point where um, I started feeling um, empowered, you know, now when I look at our cats, it really does well me up with joy. And I'm so thankful for that. And I don't think that was anything I did. I think it just happened over time because time is, uh, you know, nature's greatest cure for all that ails us. You know, how do you feel about that now? I still have times where I'll look at their pictures and get teary. Sure. I'm not quite as far along, I don't think. Sure. I'm not quite sure why. Yeah. I still have guilt over our mm. cat, Kitty. Yeah. Who, I mean, it was, what, 11 years ago, mm-hmm. 12 years ago, and I still have guilt about how mm. that whole thing happened. So I definitely yeah. haven't processed that one yet. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, and that's the thing, you guys, is that guilt and shame, I mean, you know, Part of the reason why I got out of Christianity, no offense to religion, um, was because I was tired of that, Ju- I call it that Judeo-Christian guilt. I mean, God dang. And Jew- Jew- Jewish people do it too. That They lay it on the, the guilt, you know. Get, why why you do this to me, Damien? Why you do this to me? <laughs> it just reminds me of the exorcist. <laughs> Shut up. You're not my mother. <laughs> but um, anyway. I digress, but, <laughs> but, um, it's, it's one of those things where memory and uh, process, we don't process our guilt and shame, uh, easily. That seems to be the last thing to go. Why do you suppose that is? 
because it's such a strong emotion. And sometimes negative emotions are harder to, well, most of the time, Mm -hmm. they're harder to process. They're harder to get over. And it takes a little more effort to do it. Yeah, no, I I agree. You know, um, that's why memory is such a weird thing, because, um, you know, I have written here um, uh, brain associations associate sunny weather with family barbecues. Or you might associate a, uh, uh, the rain uh, with some negative event, you know, maybe a car crash or something. Or you, you know, associate a person, place, or thing with something negative or positive. And our brains just do that naturally. We, it doesn't require any effort from us. It just does it. We, you know, you might, you know, it's like when you associate a smell. Like I'll smell something sometimes and it brings me all, and, it's weird too, because it'll bring me back to like eight years old, you know, or I'll smell something that reminds me of my grandma's perfumes. Like, wow. And it's such a, and it's all emotional. It's, mm-hmm. you're not sensing a huge amount of memory. You're accessing an image and an emotion more so than you're actually yeah. accessing the memory. Because that's mm-hmm. the one thing we've learned is that memories are very, uh, they're not very, uh, they're not very reliable. You know, and that's why eyewitnesses and such have uh, have lost merit over time is that eyewitnesses can think they saw something that they didn't see and be so sure of it because your brain is trying to make up something that it's missing. It's kind of like pareidolia where, you know, and that's why um, people who witness ghosts and such, you know, you know, we watch this celebrity ghost stories and stuff. And it's like how much of that is true and how much of that is you know, uh, them just trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense to them, you know? Um, and how much does uh, religion and spirituality play a, a factor into that? Oh, well, it must have been the angels, you know? Yeah. It's like it could have been something else, you know? But that's the thing, you guys, is that we're all going to uh, react to life differently based on uh, our fatigue, based on our uh, confidence levels, based on how much trauma we're in. And, um, you know, because that's the thing we, we, we can't put on our sleeve and like wear a t-shirt that says, Hey, you guys, I'm in a six foot rut. Uh, be, be nice to me, behave, you know, like sometimes you can tell from someone's facial expressions, but we can't always tell who's hurting or to what extent, because we're trying to put on a brave face. And the reason why we put on that brave face is because we don't want to, you know, live every second of our lives down. And so, that's why they have those memes that say depression looks like this. And it shows pictures of all these happy people who have committed suicide, you know, because yeah. the truth is, is that yes, very productive, very normal, very healthy people can have very deep, uh, you know, traumas in their past that they're dealing with. And so you don't know to what extent someone's dealing with that or why, you know, why is it that Chester Bennington uh, committed suicide after finding out Chris Cornell died. Like, were they that close or was he already, you know, ha- barely hanging on? You know, you would think a guy like that with all the money in the world and friends and he's got a better life than me for crying out loud. So why would it that people have quote unquote better lives, more money, uh, greater access to mental health care, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's kind of discouraging. It's like, Oh my God, if they can't make it, why? I don't got jack shit and I don't have any kind of safety net. Why, you know, why can, how come I can make it and they can't? And, you know, that's the thing. You don't quite know what they were going through. 
Um, you know, because pain is subjective. Pain is subjective. And that kind of leads me to um, something here. Let me find it here. Um, there's an article here. Uh, well, actually, I gave it to you, babe. So go ahead and talk about this. Um, it's how to rewire your brain for happiness. And uh, she's going to read this article, you guys. And uh, it, it's very interesting because it kind of talks about how we can, um, you know, take better care of ourselves and uh, retrain our thinking in order not to have so many intrusive thoughts or how not to associate a certain day or a certain time of the year with negative thoughts. So go ahead and do what you got to do. Okay. So it was written by a woman named Vanessa Loader for Forbes magazine. Um, Yeah. And I'll just go ahead and read it and Mm kind of interject stuff. But is happiness something we can cultivate or is it a result of our environment? New scientific research is shedding light on the answer and the results are encouraging. Imagine your brain has all these neural pathways connecting different responses. If you're stuck in a traffic jam and you feel angry, that fires a series of neurons together. The first time you fire the sequence of, ugh, traffic, I'm angry. It's as though you're walking through a jungle and you bushwhack a path, put a wooden plank across the stream to cross it, creating a rudimentary bridge. And I like the the visualization of this. It's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. But as you continue to have the same response, you strengthen the angry bridge across that little stream. Since you're crossing that bridge so often, you decide to hang some ropes along the side and add more wood to make a stronger hanging bridge. As you keep crossing that same bridge and adding more foot traffic, you continue to reinforce it and make it even stronger. Eventually, you pave the bridge, add guardrails, and the next thing you know, you've created a five-lane highway that makes it very easy to have an angry response. In fact, the response is no longer a unique reaction to a unique stimulus. It's habit. So if instead of feeling angry, you are instead to turn your attention towards joy, compassion, or gratitude, you would start building a bridge that makes it easier to feel those feelings in the future. The single plank you lay down the first time you cultivate appreciation would become reinforced over time until you create a habitual response to feel compassion, gratitude, and appreciation without much conscious effort at all. Mm-hmm. And I think the the main thing about that is that you do have to put a conscious effort into it. Yeah. It's, it's so easy to oh, yeah. go back, go to the negative things. Well, initially, yeah, you have because to our negative thinking is, is natural. It's mm-hmm. subconscious. And so we have to somehow override that with conscious action. Right. Yep. And so it just goes on <clears> to say, here's the good news with training. Scientists have now shown we can literally rewire the neural pathways that regulate our emotions, thoughts, and reactions. That means we can create new neural pathways that lead us to compassion, gratitude, and joy instead of anxiety, fear, and anger, which is the whole neuroplasticity thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, that was pretty much the gist of it. Just just talking about and how different people that have different careers, like they're talking about violinists and they have a certain part of their brain that, that fires more that leads to their left hand that oh. just does a certain part of the, the violin. So you, yeah. what you do so and it, how you respond to so, thing makes your brain. So kind of like if you're trained at a certain thing, then that training, and that's why we train, you know, in the military, I learned tr- training, 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 training. And everybody thinks, you know, civilians often don't understand the importance of training, but training is, is a way to get your brain to know something subconsciously so that you know it's like actors you if you memorize your lines often enough 
um, it just kind of comes naturally. You don't, it's not, you're not sitting there thinking you just, it just I shows up. I was going to say, it's like with dancing all those years, that's why right. you rehearse so much because your body just, it just becomes such a natural thing for your body. You just automatically do it. The mind body connection. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So basically the, the <clears throat> gist of it is that you have to work on it. Yeah. It doesn't come naturally. And well, you yeah. You have to put effort into it. And that little bit mm-hmm. of effort is worth it because yeah. it makes things easier and better. Yeah. Well, and also, um, you know, and if you can find ways, cause that's the thing is like, you know, some people just completely live on autopilot and they don't even realize how over time they're sinking into this crevasse, you know, and how that darkness is, is, is putting this dark cloud, this veil over their whole life. And that's what I meant about, you know, living inside of a, a little rut is that you don't know if someone's in a foot rut or a 20-foot rut. And so you don't know how your uh, unkind words might affect someone. One person might laugh at it, where the other person might break down crying, you know. Mm-hmm. That was like when I was talking to Chevy that time, and there was, mm-hmm. I, was, I was dealing with this woman who was helping me take care of a problem with my truck. And finally, I was like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was just giving her a, a matter of fact that I feel, felt like that they weren't, you know, living up to, you know, the, our, our warranty, you know, and next thing I know, she starts crying. I'm like, Oh shit. You know? And so obviously <laughs> I know I didn't make her cry. She was probably already having a bad day or she mm-hmm. didn't like her job or perhaps something was going on at home. But like I said, you don't know how someone's going to react. And that's why we try to be kind as often as possible. You know? Yes. When I was telling you about my dentist story, yes, I gave it back. I gave attitude back because she was giving it to me. Sometimes people out there are just very robotic and, and you know, like she was forcing me to feel like I had to come in. Uh, and, and so she made me come in, even though I, she was making me go against my better judgment, which was to wait until I had more money because we had just gotten back from vacation and then it caused this altercation. You know, so Mm -hmm. the point is, is that you don't always know where people are at. You don't know their headspace. And so that's why kindness is the key. You know, that doesn't mean that we don't give attitude back. There are going to be psychopaths and assholes out there that sometimes deserve it. But, you know, there's a lot of good people out there who don't deserve that. And, you know, and you don't want to inadvertently lose a friendship or inadvertently hurt somebody who might be going through something pretty deep, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, And that. There kind of goes into um, another uh, thing that I have here, which is um, it, it's talking about uh, pain and pain management. Let me f- get into this article here if I can. Here we go. Um, I have it snapshotted, but it's all over the place. So I would rather just look at it. Okay, so this article talks about pain. And so that could be... F- I think for the purpose of this article, they're talking about physical pain, but it can also be emotional pain as well. And it talks about, it says your brain on pain, how to remap your brain and reverse the effects of chronic pain. And so uh, I don't want to read the whole thing because it's, it's pretty much similar to what you were saying is that our brain has a, a way it's wired a certain way. Um, uh, let's see. And then it goes into uh, the brain map. Um so, so at the end here, the end result is, is how pain develops. Uh, the process that makes pain occur is complex. It often starts with some injury, surgery, 
or other experience causing tissue stress. First, cells respond by alerting nerves in the tissues. Then that signal moves to the spinal cord in the brain, also called the central nervous system. The brain weighs the threat of the stress. Neurons communicate with each other throughout the brain in order to compare the stressor to prior experiences, environments, and emotions. The brain, the commander-in-chief, decides if it's dangerous and responds with the protective signal in the form of pain. Pain is a great alarm to make you change what you're doing and move away from a perceived danger. Over time, uh, however, the brain can overinterpret tissue stress signals as dangerous. Imagine an amplifier getting turned up on a danger signal, although the threat is still the same. <clears throat> uh, this is how tissue stress can eventually lead to overly sensitive pain, even after the tissue themselves are healed. Um, and that's where, you know, with my fibromyalgia, the doctor's talking about, uh, you know, how to understand pain and how to think away the pain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was a little bit of a smart ass about it because <clears throat> I was like, I already understand neuroplasticity and I'm already doing that, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> well, because they're, they're all concerned about the opioid crisis. And mm-hmm. so they're going to give you everything, but what you want, you know, not that I want drugs, but you know, it'd be nice that they, they're, they're at a point now where they don't even want to deal with people with chronic pain problems because they have nothing they for just, you. Yeah. No, like with you, they've just pretty much, they say, Oh, okay. And that's yeah. it. Nothing else. No, it, it makes no me follow want, up. No, yeah, and anything. you know, you know why I think that is. I think it's because a because I'm male, and b because they perceive me as tough. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, oh, you're tough. You can, you, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. It's like, yeah, I am tough, but that's not taking away my chronic pain. Yeah, and I think it's partially because <clears> they <throat> don't know enough about it. Partially because, especially like where we go, they literally are not allowed to prescribe painkillers. So it's kind of mm-hmm. a guilt thing. They're just like, okay. They just <clears throat> yeah try to ignore it to, to make their guilt go away. Or I don't know. It's yeah. just weird how they've just not even followed up or well, mentioned anything. And I, so I don't want a whole prescription of painkillers, but it would be nice under like to have three or four for a month for those worst those days. Bad, bad yeah. Days. And yeah. how is that going to create an addictive mentality? You know, and so they're mm-hmm. so afraid of addiction. They're they, they've it's like. Yes, the opioid crisis is real, and yes, um, we should do something about it. But it's it's been so overblown in our culture now that they don't help anybody. No right, it's gone too far the other way. Yeah, right, they don't take it on a case by case basis. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, so this says um, how our brains can create pain. Um, <clears throat> pain alarms us to protect us. Sometimes even where there's nothing there. After having a limb amputated, people may still feel as though the limb is still present and in pain. This is called phantom limb phantom limb pain. The, li- uh, the limb has changed, but the connections within the brain have not. However, <clears throat> over time, the connections in the brain will reroute. Uh, this example illustrates how the brain alone can create pain in an area. Pain does not equal tissue injury. Uh, the two can occur independently of one another. Pain signals can also be created or amplified by thoughts, emotions, or beliefs regarding an injury. Has your pain ever gotten worse when you were stressed? Um, There is also some older case evidence that describes how chronic pain and bladder dysfunction evolved for people after surgery in a way that suggests this type of 
uh, this type of brain in- involvement. Another case study describes a patient with phantom sensations of menstrual cramps following a total hysterectomy. So mm-hmm. there's there's no yeah. physical reason why they feel it, but their brain is still wired for that Those pain. connections are still there. <clears throat> and they're very yeah. prevalent. Yeah. And so that all goes into what we mean about neuroplasticity is that your brain, <clears throat> we used to think that our brain was this, um, first of all, they thought that you could not uh, regrow brain cells. We're learning that's not true. Mm-hmm. It takes a really long time and it, it doesn't do any good if, say you lose too many brain cells, you know, you can't grow it back entirely, but your brain will remap itself if there's parts of the brain um, that are damaged uh, and you can be fully functional again over time. And so that kind of goes into phantom pain and uh, the perception of pain. And that's where my doctors, they want me to, you know, perceive the pain differently. And while I, I fully get that that's a real thing, um, Sometimes I feel like they're talking down to me. Like they just assume we're all stupid. It's like, I'm pre-med, dude. I'm a, I'm an EMT and I'm a, I was a medic in the army. You know, like I have some pretty advanced training. I already know that stuff. Um, when I'm talking about wanting help through medications or something, it's for those moments where nothing else will work. You know, it's like when you get a migraine, I could think try to think the migraine away, but at the end of the day, there's something going on there that needs to be addressed physically, you know, and there's a difference, you know, and that's why I think emotional pain, physical pain, they're very similar in that it's how we perceive it and our emotions, you know, there's been times, yes, where my fibro acts up because I'm tired or because I'm stressed out. Of course, caffeine can increase pain. It reminds me of an episode of Burn Notice when, uh, remember when uh, uh, Bruce Campbell's character, Sam Axe, was shot and then he was in the hospital and that lady, the bad girl, oh, yeah. bad guy I came in and mm-hmm. gave him a bunch of caffeine and it made it hurt all the worse. Yeah, it makes everything excitable. And, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why, yeah, that's why uh, stimulants can increase pain, whereas uh, analgesics are generally something that slows down pain or slows down our metabolism. Um, but let me get here. Let me see the the the, the bottom point here because it. Um, so the so, so it says. Um, um, it's extremely important to re, uh, return to moving normally and getting back to living. Poor movement strategies can prolong pain and dysfunction, and this can turn a short-term stressor into a long-lasting, sensitized pain. In addition to physical therapy, yoga practice can teach us how to relearn healthy movement patterns. Of course, with any kind of treatment, it also depends on the unique individual. Everyone has personal experiences associated with pain that can make treatment different for them. We are still learning about how neuroplasticity occurs, but the brain does change. This is how we are all able to adapt to new environments and circumstances around us. Pain is our protective mechanism, but sometimes it can get out of hand. While tissue injury can elicit pain, the nervous system can become overly sensitized to stimulus and cause pain uh, with no real danger. Uh, This perception can spread beyond the original problem areas, and this can occur from uh, connections remapping in the brain and the spinal cord. For pelvic pain, treatment is often multidisciplinary, but should include a pelvic health treatment therapist who can facilitate uh, tissue healing, optimal movement, 
and uh, who can utilize the principles of neuroplasticity to promote brain changes and return to function. And so basically, you know, that's kind of the through line here, you guys, with all of this is that whether you have emotional pain or physical pain or some kind of um, somewhere in between mental pain or mental health, um, it's, it's because our brain is mapped that way. And so, yes, like when somebody cuts you off on the freeway, you're mapped to flip them off and say, hey, mm-hmm. fucker. But that's what the whole counting to 10 thing is. It's like your breathing techniques and also getting your brain to stop focusing on what just happened, the injustice of it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, because I'm, I'm, as you probably know, you guys, is I'm very, very, uh, I hate injustice and inequality, you know, because the whole point of this show is about um, empowering people who don't feel empowered to to give people that don't feel like they have any um, <clears throat> power in this world the empowerment to to stand up to stand up to injustice and inequality and regressive yeah. thinking regressive systems that that could be anything that could be you know when uh, certain laws or certain things uh, don't address systemic inequality or systemic racism or something like that. Um, all these things bother us. And so uh, I've always been very, you know, I talked about on the last episode about triggers and trigger words. Um, I'm very, very triggered politically because um, there's just certain things I don't think should exist in the year 2021. Why are we still dealing with racism? Why are we still dealing with um the haves versus the have nots that we should have a minimum standard. And, you know, that's why I love star Trek so much because it, it talks about addressing the issue of poverty and disease and, uh, and it embraces futurism in a way where we don't become pussies, but we become um, just stronger. You know, uh, I, I saw this thing, Joe Rogan posted it the other day. And it showed this thing about how, you know, easy times create easy men or weak men and that difficult times create, you know, harder men. Right. And so and I've talked about this, you guys, where, you know, we're we're now living in times that are incredibly difficult, but we're at a point in society where. We have more technological advancements. We have more laws and rules and social standards uh, that have allowed us to evolve in many, 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 many ways. That being said, there are still institutional flaws, flaws with the justice system, flaws with people's thinking, or like that judge, that Kyle Rittenhouse judge, fucker was clearly biased and everybody could see it. And yet there is no power that exists that can address a situation that is, you know, creating inequality or creating a a bias in that system. We had to just let that happen. And so we're always trying to address any system of regression where we're not moving forward to create the greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people. That's what it's all about. And so a lot of my thinking is about universality. I call it universal thinking. What is the universal best practices, you know, and, and it's hard sometimes to apply best practices to yourself. We are so subjective 
to ourselves. We might have great advice for somebody else, but we don't know always know how to apply that to ourselves. Absolutely. You know, yeah, for sure. So, so how do we remap the brain? I mean, what do you think? It it takes work. And that's the thing. It's that it's hard. What it's kind, really hard to what do. What kind of work? Well, I just mental work. When you yeah. catch yourself in a certain pattern mm. and you don't like it there, just consciously try to think of something else or put it in a different perspective or think of it a different way. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard. It's easier to just even like if you're in a depressive episode, it sucks, but it's comfy and it's mm-hmm. it's an old shoe and it's easier to oh. stay there than it is to I, try to change it. Yeah, I love my comfy shoe. You know, like mm-hmm. when I get into a depressive funk, I go, it's perfectly okay to overeat. It's perfectly okay to do nothing. It's perfectly okay to self-care. And while I think that's okay to a point, yeah, absolutely, it can create but... a lot of, you know, and that's what I was saying, you know, where do we draw the line between self-care and making so many excuses that we never run out of excuses to better ourselves yeah. or to change the situation? And that's kind of what I was saying about my grandfather, the suck it up princess thing, right? Mm-hmm. It was, I was yeah. saying it for shock of value. But the yeah. point is, is where do we draw that line between, you know, actually taking good care of ourselves, that self-care, that much needed softness and kindness, uh, and uh, where we're making excuses to not get better. You know, mm-hmm. we have yeah. to draw a line somewhere. And it's definitely not easy. It's really hard to <clears throat> drag yourself out of certain situations and certain mindsets and mm-hmm. It's, it's really hard. You have to make a very conscious effort to do it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So before we go on to the next subject, I kind of just want to talk about the symptoms of, uh, you know, thinking of, of, of depression and trauma. Um, <clears throat> so, of course, any trauma, any traumatic incident, um, you know, whether it be a soldier, whether it be a, a rape victim or a robbery victim, any kind of person who's been victimized is going to have to deal with uh, a law, a big, large array of varied um, just things that are going to happen over time that you're not sure of until it happens. And so like we have a friend who was assaulted on Thanksgiving. And so Thanksgiving day for her is a very hard day because on the one hand, she's thankful. On the one hand, she's got family around. On the one hand, you're eating all this food and you're in this familiar and family environment. But on the other hand, um, it's dredging up memories of, uh, of, of a close friend or family member who assaulted you long, long time ago. And how do you separate those two? Cause that's the thing, you know, that I was trying to tell our friend <clears throat> is that how do you separate a trauma or negative thinking or negative thought patterns with uh, something that's inherently positive, you know, because so many people, Christmas is coming and a lot of people just bah humbug on Christmas because perhaps it all, it seems to remind a lot of people of negative stuff. Why do you suppose that is? I think a lot of it is personal relationships for people. Like people remember family members that aren't here anymore and that yeah. it, it brings up too many memories of the way it used to be and the way it isn't anymore. And it makes it depressing because you want it to be back in the old days. Yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, you know, that's the thing, you guys, is that, um, you know, we have 
life is such a mixed bag of good and bad. And how do you, you know, find some equilibrium where the negative things in your life aren't overpowering the positive things? And especially when you have something as exact as something good, something bad happening on a good day. You know, it'd be like mm-hmm. if you're, you know, some a family member died on Christmas. How could you ever celebrate Christmas again without feeling sad? You might not be able to. Yeah. Sometimes well, you can't. Well, and that's the problem is that a lot of times people don't know how to disassociate it. You know, I was trying to tell our friend that somehow we have to get out of the habit of associating a certain day or a certain um, holiday or a certain time of the year with a negative thing, you know, because it's so easy to do, you know, as soon as the weather, it's like here in Oregon, I was telling Rebecca, this is like, it, it literally the sun stopped shining because that's what happens is it starts getting gray here. I have a burp. I'm sorry, you guys. Oh, <laughs> I had a bubble. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. But, you know, as soon as the sun stops shining, almost like a robot, people's uh, personalities shifts into winter mode and then into spring mode. And then when spring comes and the sun starts shining, everybody gets excited again and everybody kind of turns normal again. And almost there's almost like a um, bipolarness to people in Oregon because you literally get six months of sun and six months of gray, right? And like like a robot almost. People are pre-programmed. It almost feels like they can't help it. They turn into different people and they get strange. They get weird. They get um they get bitchy. They get um cranky. They get um you know just so many different things. And what was funny is when the weather started changing this year. We had just gotten back from California. And so here we are, you know, having been spoiled with the California sunshine. And then we come back and remember, I think I noticed that, yeah, when we were going uh, to Safeway that day and we were getting uh, uh, pumpkins and such and we Mm -hmm. got ice cream that time. And I just noticed the vibe was different. And it was so weird to me because it's like, you guys, it's only been gray for a couple of days. You <laughs> a couple don't have, of hours. <laughs> yeah, a couple of hours. It's almost like it shifts on a dime. But it makes you realize uh, just how much human beings are slaves to their environment, slaves to the vibes. Um, I'm a high uh, energetically sensitive person. Um, and, but there's a lot of people out there who probably aren't at all uh, hypersensitive who still seem to be subject to that rule where once the weather changes, the whole mood shifts, you know? I think a lot of it up here too, is people that are Mm. so used to always being outside doing things or hunting or they're fishing Mm. or they're hiking or they're camping. And it's not the right environment for that anymore. Me, I mean, I do suffer from seasonal stuff sometimes, Mm. but I don't like to leave my house. So I'm Mm. still in my house. It's a little grayer outside. Yeah. And it does affect me sometimes, but I think that might be part of it up here is well, because people do so much outside stuff. That's like um, that's like um, your sisters. Uh, are they married? No, your no. sisters. They're engaged, right? No. Oh, okay. We'll call them a boyfriend. <laughs> uh, but uh, they they recently moved up here from L.A. and now they're living in Portland. Sorry, Portlanders. I know, uh, but you know. Like when we were up there uh, to go to the airport, <clears throat> visiting and such, you could tell how affected he is by this place. And 
it just reminded me when we first moved up here, <clears throat> how I was just fit to be tied. And we are such creatures of, of habit, creatures of our environment. And <clears throat> I wanted to sit, tell the, you know, cause I told Rebecca, I'm like, because I do care and I do relate, but there's a part of me that's like, I'm sorry, but he has a better life than me in almost every measurable way. I'm not going to feel sorry for him. He'll get used to it just like I did, you know, but Mm -hmm. it's, but it's true, you know? Um, and you know, it's not that I don't have empathy. I do absolutely. But, um, but they have this nice house. They have these wonderful cats. They have good jobs. Like I'm not about to feel sorry (laughs) for your ass because you moved to Portland and into a beautiful house, you know? Um, <clears throat> but it, but it just goes to show that we are all susceptible to environmental changes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I wanted to talk about um, coping mechanisms. Um, so when we're traumatized, when we have grief, depression, anxiety, whether you think of it as a chemical imbalance or whether you simply think of it as like I do, I think of my depression as situational depression because I don't have a chemical imbalance. That's not to say that our chemicals don't imbalance from time to time. And I'm going to go into some things that I do to, to help myself stay within balance chemically. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, we have coping mechanisms that can often be bad things. Um, my friend is a big time. When he gets depressed, he turns into a huge procrastinator. And I, uh, my friend Jim, he's the chiropractor. And there was a time where he got so depressed and overwhelmed that he had charts for his patients that were like stacking up to the ceiling. And he's like, I got to do it, but I'm just so overwhelmed. I can't get to it. And because he was so, um, he calls it adrenal overload. He gets adrenal overloads, uh, to the point where he just shuts down and it's very extreme. And that's why I think I've given him shit in the past for, you know, like I said, he changes every other Thursday. He has, mood swings like i've never seen you think i'm bad like he just totally just wow you know um and i'm not judging him for that but but when you have adrenal fatigue or when you have a chemical imbalance uh some people just they they don't know how to fight it in fact they prefer to go with it because it it feels so right in the moment, you know? Yeah. And so how, you know, uh, this can cause not, not only procrastination, uh, but it can also cause, um, you know, nasty attitudes. You can lose friendships over it. That's why he and I had a falling out, I think, is because he was in this weird, dark place and he convinced himself that I wasn't being a good friend, even though at that time I was very much trying to be a good friend to him. But he invented all this stuff in his head. Um, based on uh, grievances from the past that he hadn't quite reconciled with, you know, and we talked about yeah. that before. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but drinking, drugs, uh, bad habits, what, do, what would you tell folks about, you know, ways in which we can um, sort of listen to our better angels and not allow ourselves to get out of balance? Because that's what it's all about, because I don't think there's anything wrong if you're depressed to have a beer once in a while or to have a little bit of pot or something, but tell the folks what you think, you know, where the line should be drawn. Well, it's, it's different for everyone, sure. obviously, but just baby steps and mm-hmm. try it. Like everything balances the key. I mean, just, just 
baby steps, if there's one little mm. thing that you can do different towards a more positive outlook or a more positive outcome, it's better than <coughs> than doing nothing mm. or doing something that's yeah. harmful to you. So it's well, just trying to recognize yeah. what's bothering you and what you're doing that's not good. Well, and then that's exactly what I always tell you guys is write down the things that are triggering you. Write down the things that are bothering you. Write down the things that you know that you do that are unhealthy. And then write down possible solutions. And while that sounds, you know, kind of cliche and childish and whatnot, um, the truth is, is that it can help. Because, again, when we're talking about grounding, when we're talking about um, healing, we're talking about rituals or ceremonies that we can perform that help remap our brains. Cause that's what rituals do. So if you, yeah. you know, my running, for example, not only does that create a biological change because I'm running and I'm sweating and I'm getting my endorphins going, but just the ritual of it helps. And, and yeah. you know, you feel, I feel like I'm a part of a community that way. I'm a part of a runner's community. And while I don't like all parts of it, cause I think, Fitness people are obnoxious. <laughs> um, I I understand why it becomes their religion because it 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 cheers you up. It makes you stronger. It helps your brain not go to these dark places because you're always filling your brain with endorphins and serotonin and all these good chemicals. And so that's the problem with <clears throat> people who have chemical imbalances is that you wouldn't want to do anything to upset those balances because you might be the kind of person like myself who have a, a history of alcoholism or something where you just don't want to ever touch alcohol because you know that you don't have control. Once you had a beer, it turns mm. into two or three and three turns into seven. So those people who know that that's good, you know, and that's the thing is, but I'm at a point now where um, I'm always trying to maintain balance. And we've talked about that on the show where what is it that's bothering me and how can I fix it? okay, this is happening a little to this, so how do I offset that? I'm always thinking about how to offset it. Like, for example, this morning, I'm feeling a little bit fibroed. <clears throat> I get, um, <clears throat> if you, hold on, you guys. I got to clear my throat. Sorry about that, you guys. I'm trying to clear my throat, and that was a doozy, so I didn't want you guys to have to hear that. Uh, <laughs> you didn't want to. Yeah, it was I bad. It. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so that's the thing about balance. Like, for example, this morning, um, I'm feeling a little bit fibroid, and that happens uh, when I'm stressed out. It happens if I don't sleep well enough. It happens if um, uh, if I eat dairy, and dairy inflames my gut, and then that uh, inflammation starts becoming a total body thing yeah. where my whole body becomes inflamed. And so that kind of leads me to what I wanted to tell you guys about <clears throat> inflammation and depression is that there's now a correlation between uh, what we eat and our inflammation and how that inflammation can cause a host of psychological problems. And so <clears throat> my voice is so jacked. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. Um, hang on, you guys. I got to get a frog, frog out of my throat. <laughs> Sorry about that, you guys. I'm having a um, 
Clem Day. There's winter for you. <laughs> Yummy. Anyway, so what I'm trying to say, if I can get it out. It's inflammation. You're talking about inflammation. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so inflammation can be caused by a lot of things. Stress can cause inflammation. And I'm not a doctor, but uh, I've had to learn about it because I have a condition called fibromyalgia. And fibromyalgia, um, the biggest problem with fibromyalgia is that it's an autoimmune disorder characterized by chronic pain and um hold on the cat wants in jesus christ be right back you guys okay just one of those days <laughs> okay we let her out because we uh went out to go uh gargle and, and drink some water and such and then she wanted back in but uh anyways the point i'm trying to make if i can get it out gosh darn it um, is that inflammation can take over your life. Uh, inflammation is caused by a lot of things, poor diet, stress, etc., autoimmune conditions. And so I just wanted to give you guys a little sort of rundown of how I deal with it because I get a lot of chronic um, inflammation. And the reason I do is because I have an autoimmune condition called fibromyalgia, but also because um, I'm lactose intolerant. And anytime, like last night, for example, I um I ate a great big old bowl of that craft mac and cheese and when I make mac and cheese I don't play around so I <laughs> use extra milk, extra butter, extra cheese. I had like what five slices of craft cheese in there and then I mm-hmm. had all that cheddar. Yeah. And so all that dairy if I take a uh, turmeric it really seems to help. Um but that's the thing I was going to tell you guys is that inflammation uh, is what help, makes me feel like shit the next day. And it could be caused from too much dairy the day before. It could be from stress. Um, and those things can also lead to my insomnia too. And so staying in balance is a, a difficult thing. And it's different for everybody because everybody's body is different. And it's different for one person depending on the day. So yeah, a lot of times it's right. not consistent. So yeah. it's, it's hard to it's keep track all, of. Yeah, and it's all about gauging yourself and, you know, how am I feeling today? What is what is my, you know, major problem today and how do I correct that problem? It's, it's really hard to remain objective about ourselves. We're very subjective. And then when you start introducing, um, you know, den- you know, all kinds of things, you know, you're introducing, you know, fatigue, you're introducing drugs and alcohol, you're reducing all the attitudes that we develop uh, in a culture that tries to, to, to demand that we're always tough. We put up all these walls and uh, the, the frankly, you know, like I said, where do you draw that line? Sometimes you have to self-care, you know, and a lot of times we forget that, you know, because our culture teaches us to be tough. And um, how many people do you know? You know those, co- you know you have coworkers that just work forty, fifty hours a week, and they're just gung ho. Like like your friend who got back from vacation the next day, she was in at yeah, work. Yeah, it's like and oh. she's got like eight thousand hours mm. of sick time accumulated because she right. never calls in sick. She's hardcore, right? Me, I go through mine in a month. Well, <laughs> everybody's different, you know. And yeah. I don't. I think some of that has to do with mental toughness. Uh, but a lot of it has to do with any underlying conditions. If she doesn't have some underlying condition like you with migraines. She gets migraines. Does she? She does. Yeah. She just, it's, a, and she's <clears throat> 10 years older than me. So it's right. different. It's a different generation. It's a different mentality. Yeah. A lot of it. It's very much has yeah. a lot to do with it. 
Plus, she's conservative, and conservatives aren't allowed to be soft. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so getting back to inflammation, you guys. Um, honestly, you guys, if I'm, you know, they're finding out that Western culture, and I'm not a doctor, but I'm just kind of giving you the rundown, um, is that Western culture, the reason why we're so unhealthy is because of our Western diets. High in fat, high in sugar, high in fatty oils, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And so, so I tried to tell you guys, eat good, but don't, you know, allow yourself to enjoy food. I eat a little bit of ice cream every night. Um, when that upsets my lactose intolerance, then I switch to the, the lactose free kind, which still has dairy, but you know, the chocolate mint Twinkies that are out for Christmas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that we're also trying to uh, watch is our sugar intake. I was going to say is that inflammation is caused from a lactose intolerance, but it's also caused from sugar intake and sugar is the silent killer. You guys, I cannot uh, overstate this, that sugar is what causes inflammation especially if you don't have good gut health. And so what I was going to say is that, um, you know, everybody's going to eat sugar this time of year, cakes and pies. I mean, how can you not, you know, I'm, I'm having pumpkin pie tonight. Gosh, darn it. Along with my snowball and the apple pie and apple pie. We, we bought another apple pie. So and hot chocolate, <laughs> man, we, we got a problem. <laughs> um, but the truth is, is that we do this because we want this time of year to be happy and we want it to be festive and we want to be able to let go a little bit, you know. And so where do you draw that line? You know, that's why I'm going to go for a run tonight. I feel kind of off balance, off center because I haven't worked out since since Sunday. <laughs> what is this, Wednesday? I haven't worked out since 1985. <laughs> <laughs> You're, uh, yeah, I was like, she's a maniac, maniac. Uh, let's get physical, <laughs> physical. <laughs> but anyways, the point is, you guys, is that um, finding total holistic balance in your life is different for everyone. Um, but for me, yeah, the inflammation is a big one for me because inflammation is what swells up uh, your muscles and tissues to the point where it causes pain and discomfort. And so that uh, can be what's causing a lot of most people's pains from arthritis to uh, headaches to the list goes on and on and on. And so what I was going to tell you guys is try to limit your sugar intake. Um, you know, like don't drink empty calories. Like I don't, I'll drink, I drink soda, but I only drink maybe one soda per week or something like that. Or I'll drink a soda and then I'll put a lid on it. And then, uh, you know, I'll redrink that soda until either it's gone mm-hmm. or it's lost all its fizz, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And so, I drink water all day, every day. That's my main thing. We put that stir, that the the, the flavorant in there, because as my friend says, water tastes like mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I just get bored with the taste of water. So it's nice to put something nice in there. And you know, you're drinking something that doesn't have aspartame in it or something that's bad for you, because those are excitotoxins and we don't want that. Um, so the point is, is that uh, another thing that I do for anti-inflammatory, purposes is every day I take turmeric and uh, you can find turmeric on Amazon or Walmart or wherever, um, but make sure that you get the turmeric that has pepper, 
extract, black pepper extract in it. Um, they say, the science says that um, what that does is it makes it more bioavailable to your body and increases its absorption rate by like 2,000%. So without it, you're probably only absorbing like 3%. When you put the black pepper in there, for whatever reason, uh, it allows the body to take it in much more efficiently. And so what I would recommend you guys is um, if you're not doing it already, get on a turmeric supplement. Um, you know, consult your doctor first and blah, 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 disclaimer, you know. <laughs> but the point is, is for me, is that um, I, I take three uh, pills in the morning and I take that with my three ashwagandha. And what ashwagandha is, is um, it's an herb that helps me with my mood and my depression. And so I don't have to take meds because I've tried taking meds in the past and it just doesn't work for me. I get anxious. Like it does its job too well and I can't seem to find balance. I'm either a zombie or I'm anxious as all hell. And so it just doesn't work for me. And so for a while there, I took the Sammy, but uh, the cost was getting too uh, up there. Um, and so, yeah, I discovered that ashwagandha was really doing it for me and it's cheap and it's affordable too. And so make sure you're finding uh, reputable uh, suppliers, but ashwagandha and turmeric uh, have been a godsend for me. Um, I wanted to ask you, babe, uh, about, uh, you know, you're on uh, antidepressants and you're now taking um, uh, the, the ashwagandha. How is that co- working out for you? Um, I think it's working pretty well. I so I went down like I'm on a super low dose of antidepressants, but I can't yeah. get off it completely. I've yeah, tried, right? And just one of my I know we've talked about. I, I know I was gonna weave this in here somehow, and now I can't remember what the whole point was. But mm-hmm. one of my symptoms with depression is the the thinking, overthinking, and the anxiety, and just talk about and, it. I'm trying to. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But one of my depression symptoms is that Mm. I could not let things go and I would have intrusive thoughts and I would let things keep bothering me over and over. And just even a little dose of antidepressant Mm. takes that. Just that almost brings it right back to center. Right. So I don't, I don't um, hyper focus on things anymore, but the ashwagandha, I think Mm. just with the low dose of the actual, medical antidepressants Mm -hmm. seems to be a good combination for me yeah well and that's what it's all about you guys is everybody uh everybody's biology is different and everybody's psychology is different and so um depending on where you're at emotionally depending on where you're at in your mental health um if you're having extreme problems you know you're you need professional help you need to, to have the courage to talk to a doctor about that who can then refer you to somebody who can really help. Um, because paid f- professionals know things that we aren't paid to know. And so that's yeah. my advice is, is know yourself uh, and don't, you know, like my grandma, you know, she got that leaky gut. She, she could have still been alive today. Well, she'd be 104 now, but you know, she, <laughs> she'd be alive to, she would have had a lot much longer life. She died at 69 yeah. uh, all because she didn't get to the doctor in time. And I really do feel that it was, uh, could have been, uh, you know, avoided. And then all the anger and all the sadness that it caused this family, it really, it really tore this family apart, quite honest. And uh, it never was the same because they, yeah. they were the center of <clears throat> their house was like, 
where all the holidays were celebrated. Their house was always, uh, they were the, um, they were the rock solid people uh, in our family that everyone congregated at, you know, even before I was born, they were, they were just the family that everybody loved and everybody hung out with and everybody loved, uh, you know, grandpa Vic and grandma Jean, you Mm -hmm. know, and, um, and, and her dying really threw things off. And yeah, it was all because she just didn't get to the doctor in time. And had she gotten to the doctor in time, they probably could have saved her. And uh, kills me to think about yeah. that, you know? It does. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, of course, goes into why, you know, when she started, you know, because I was a drinker anyway in those days. But that that's what turned me into a full-blown alcoholic. I was drinking the pain away. I mean... It was so bad. I mean, I was a functional alcoholic. I was working. I was going to school. I was getting pretty good grades. Um, I don't know how I did it, but, you know, and I was even still paying attention to my fitness a little bit. Um, but that's the thing is, um, at what point are you fooling yourself? You know, sure, I was doing all these things, but I wasn't I wasn't living my best life, you know, and the the sadness and the grief from losing my grandma, because I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. We had moved back down to the central coast from Reading and she was up there. And so I didn't see her for three years before she died. And so I was dealing with all that grief. I was dealing with guilt brought on by the fact that I um, felt like I wasn't talking to her enough, even though I was a college student and working full time, I, I had zero time, but I just feel like, God, why didn't I, you know, spend more time talking to her because she was my best friend, you know? And so that guilt, it racked me with guilt and it racked me with anger, anger. And so I drank like a fish for a few years until finally, uh, after culinary school, I, I was sitting there by myself going, a party's supposed to have people. Why am I drinking alone? You know? And I just, it dawned on me. And then, um, my father was still alive at the time. We were, yeah, we were friendly, but we weren't super close, but being that he had alcohol problems, I called him and I told him, Hey, I'm done, man. And I just poured my last beer down the drain and that was it. And so I, I had a couple setbacks where I drank a few times, uh, because I had a girlfriend at the time that was younger than me. And that was the age where she was wanting to go out to the clubs all the time. So I went to the clubs a few times. I had a couple drinks, but, uh, for the most part, I, you know, changed my attitude about it. So I went, you know, 12, 15 years before I started thinking that I could drink again. And so I started drinking a little bit socially. And uh, the good news is, is I was off alcohol so long that I completely, I'm a different person now. And so maybe I had alcoholism back then, or maybe it wasn't an addiction at all, but it was just a coping mechanism of my trauma. That's what I believe. Yeah. You know, because I don't feel that way anymore. I don't feel the urge to keep drinking when I'm buzzed. That's when you know you have addiction. When, you know, you just always want more. More isn't enough, you know. And uh, and that's the problem is that a lot of times we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're, oh, we're hanging. We're, oh, I can can drink. I can smoke pot. I can do these drugs. I'm fine, you know. Um, Until, you know. You may not have this great big, uh, you know, uh, moment of clarity where you realize it and then change your ways. You may just find over time that your life is just getting shittier and shittier and your health is getting shittier and shittier. And maybe you're still a functional alcoholic or maybe you're still a functional addict. But at the end of the day, um, you don't realize how much you're in denial. 
you know? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, we have to watch it as sensitives. Um, anybody with depression, any sensitives out there, uh, empaths, uh, we're very sensitive. And because of that, we're always looking to numb ourselves because our senses are so acutely aware. And so, um, you know, we have to learn ways to deal with our problems and our struggles uh, that are healthy. So, you know, I feel like I'm in a good place with that, really. You know, um, yeah. I drink a couple of beers here and there. Um, I smoke a little bit of pot at night, but um, I'm always like, well, no, no beer tonight. That's, you know, I can always tell when it when it's going to go right and when it's going to go wrong. Occasionally I'm wrong, but for the mm-hmm. most part, I've learned and um you know, that's why I care more about this podcast and my job and my success and my balance and my fitness. Those are the things that keep me up and motivated. I make those more important than beer and weed and all those things that help uh, numb the pain, you know. Um, have you ever had problems with that? Uh, not really. Um, that's good. I felt like I might have been heading that direction a little bit when my very first relationship fell mm. apart and I was yeah. hours away from my parents and <clears throat> yeah. it was my first everything. And I, I felt that it could have gone that way, mm-hmm. but I realized it and, yeah. and stopped. So yeah, well, that's that good. was pretty much the only time. Yeah. So the only thing I would say <clears throat> is that if you're drinking, if you have depression or you're an empath or an introvert or shoot anybody really, um, if you're having a hard time during the holidays, uh, first of all, join the club because I think a lot of people do. Um, but you know, first of all, make sure that you get your life sorted out. If you're having, uh, you don't necessarily have to quit. If, if you're a full blown addict, uh, or an alcoholic, you probably should quit and reacquaint yourself with sobriety for a long time. That's what I did is I reacquainted myself with myself because I didn't know myself. I, you know, I drank from like 17 to like 30 and I was drinking that whole time. And so I had to spend at least a decade sober so that I could reacquaint myself with who I am. I, you know, because there's a lot of catching up to do, you know, it's like uh, this guy on Facebook that we know um, he's, he's in recovery and he's like, I didn't realize how little I had grown over those years, you know, you emotionally, mm-hmm. Your emotional maturity, your emotional intelligence is stunted when you're always looking for the party, you know, and a lot of people don't realize that until it's too late, until they've grown into a habit of something that they can't get out of, Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, for people that are full-blown alcoholics or, or addicts, yes, stopping and having a long stretch of time where you're sober is a great way to go, and then learning positive ways to cope in the meantime for me when i quit drinking um it was all about uh, coffee and running i became the biggest coffee addict and the biggest runner (laughs) but i i always kept it in balance and um you know and i think even running can become an addiction after a while too and that's kind of why like when i go on social media and i see these runners um they don't know when to take a day off you know and i really do believe that they're addicted to uh, the endorphin rush, uh, and they're also addicted to the way they look and feel. And so it can become an addiction. And while that's probably a better addiction than say some substance, I think they're addicted to not only, um, 
the endorphins, but they're also addicted to the way people treat them because of the, the way they look. It's that yeah. ego, man. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. so, you know, I think it's just wise for people who ha- lose balance, lose sight of balance, whether it be fitness or drugs or alcohol or e- sadness, anything you're experiencing in life can become too much of something. And when we're inundated with too much of something, we have to, you know, because the truth is, you know, I've said it before that happiness requires a certain amount of delusional behavior. We have to convince ourselves that things are going to be all right, even though we're all going to die. You know, um, we, we delude ourselves, you know, religion can delude us into positive thinking that sometimes isn't always accurate, uh, spirituality, um, uh, friendships, etc. And especially like when you drink, you get all that liquid courage and uh, mm-hmm. you think, oh, I'm fine, but you don't realize over time what you might be doing. And so it's, it's, I think it's easy when you're in a bad place to put up walls and to disassociate yourself from the truth because, the, you know, it's like, oh, I'm fine. You know, I just have a few beers and I'm great, you know, but what are they avoiding during that time? And, you know, they're killing off brain cells, but also they're not, they're not addressing the, the heart of the matter. And that's the, the, the most dangerous part, I think. Is, is that they're not addressing some issue that they need to deal with in order to grow, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we got one more thing here. Um, I think we've kept it pretty positive, don't you think? Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. I mean, because that's the thing, you guys, is like depression, sadness, uh, stress, shoot, man, we're all dealing with it, you know? And so we're all human here and we're all dealing with the struggle of trying to uh, balance our emotions with our life and trying to be tough, but, you know, trying not to live in denial because, you know, that's the problem with being tough is, you know, yes, we want to be tough. And there's a lot of people who are like, nope, I got to be tough and they'll go to work sick or they'll go to work when they're exhausted. And, and maybe that's okay for them. But like your friend, when is she going to hit a wall? I don't know. She might hit a wall. She hasn't. And if she hits a wall, what's that going to, how's that going to manifest? Is that going to manifest as fatigue? Is that going to manifest as, you know, killing somebody accidentally? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you don't always know how that's going to manifest. And that's what I mean about don't let things um, build up too long because you don't, you're not going to have control when it bursts out of you, Mm -hmm. you know, because it could really turn bad. But um, neuroplasticity. Our minds are this, it's like a living universe. Our brains are this, is this living organism uh, full of doubts, full of truths, full of um, just positives and negatives. And so neuroplasticity is is about homeostasis. You know what homeostasis is. It's when you're always trying to, it's your body's attempt to always maintain some natural working order uh, through your metabolism and whatnot. And so, and so maybe you've gotten in the habit of living a certain way, not getting enough sleep. Maybe you've just got grown accustomed to certain things and you think you're fine, but try to assess whether or not what you're doing to your body is actually healthy or not. You know, if you're sleeping three or four hours a night, but you say, Oh, I'm used to it now. I'm fine. There's even entire books that say, uh, that you can live off of four hours of sleep. And like, I'm sure it can be done, but at the end of the day, is that a good idea? <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
So, so don't listen to the hype out there, you guys. Listen to your body and understand that, yes, you can have a beer once in a while. You can, you know, do all sorts of things within reason and balance, within moderation. But at, one, at, at some point, you got to, you know, get, they call it with an alcoholic, they call it a moment of clarity is where you hit a moment of clarity. And whether you choose to act on that or not is up to that person. But a lot of people would rather just double, triple down when they're wrong. You know, that's what's wrong right now with like, you know, uh, politics is they're not right, but they just double and triple down. It's like, Mm -hmm. God, people are so crazy, you know. Uh, But the last thing I will talk about is um, uh, psilocybin. Psilocybic mushrooms. So, um, if you're not aware, um, most hard drugs have been um, uh, decriminalized. Decriminalized in the state of Oregon, right? And while that might sound like a uh, invitation for people to have a big old party, um, the truth is the reason why they do it is because they've done studies to show that. It doesn't make people go use cocaine if you're not already a cocaine user or meth or whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't turn, it, you know, just like marijuana, is it actually a gateway drug or is just youth a gateway drug? Is being around the wrong people a gateway drug? Is it the marijuana? Is it really? Or is it just the fact that you're in the wrong place with the wrong people doing the wrong things? I think just life and stress can can make you double down on your, uh, ah, fuck it attitude. And you can end up in situations that you probably shouldn't be in. But, um, going back to these mushrooms, um, there's a lot of studies now showing that, uh, psychedelics, uh, remap your brain because what they do is they re-stimulate parts of your brain that have gone a little brain dead, if you will. Um, we, we all have parts of our brain that are in various states of healing um, and, and so what this does is it allows certain parts of your brain that are perhaps not as active to become activated. And that's why you end up having some, you know, a trip is because you're mm-hmm. activating so many parts of your brain simultaneously, uh, that what that does is you, it, it manifests as a fucking trip, bro, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> hallucinations and whatever, euphoria, etc. Um, but what they're finding is that, uh, even through micro doses is that we can remap our brains. And so um, I'm not saying go out and start taking mushrooms, make sure that I know it's, it's, it's legal here under the care of a physician. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because you know, it's easy to, to think that, Oh, well I know this stuff. It's like me, I'm an EMT. I can figure this stuff out. (laughs) Um, Yes and no. But, um, but if you're going to do something for, um, you know, for clinical purposes, make sure you're doing it in a clinical setting with real doctors. Um, don't just yeah. self-treat yourself. <laughs> but the point I'm making is that uh, psychedelics and psilocybin is, uh, is a compound that um, is allowing our brains to remap themselves. And what that does over time is it um, reduces depression and anxiety. And so... That's a good thing. And, you know, <clears throat> I remember back when I was a, a teenager experimenting with acid and mushrooms and stuff, um, feeling pretty darn happy afterward, you know, <laughs> um, because, yeah, it, you know, because that's what happens is our brains have this tendency to create 
uh, neural pathways. And those neural pathways become stronger the more we feed into those pathways, good and bad. And so that's the point Rebecca was making with the article she read is that what starts out as a tiny little bridge can turn into a four lane highway. You know, the more you feed a certain thought, the more you feed a certain impulse, the stronger it becomes. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing. You might be developing good habits like Mm -hmm. running and exercising through it, but you also might be, um, you might be uh, also hurting yourself uh, without your knowledge too, because you're creating delusional thinking that, Oh, I'm fine when you're not actually fine. You might, especially if you're somebody who's having trouble maintaining a balance, if you're uh, somebody who's a depressive uh, or has a chronic uh, uh, anxiety, is you don't really want to self-medicate because you don't know how that's going to change your brain chemistry, especially drinking. You know, drinking can screw your chemicals all up. And while it might feel good in the moment, uh, maintaining a balance is really hard to do, especially as you get older. So what I would say is, is if you are interested and you have clinical depression, uh, reach out to a doctor, do your research, but there are uh, amazing things that can be done with psychedelics, uh, even in microdoses where you don't have to trip balls, but you're just taking just enough uh, to have a lasting effect um, because it's remapping your brain. And, um, and so remapping of your brain, neuroplasticity is really where it's at when anybody is trying to take a bad habit and, and turn it into a good habit. When we're <clears throat> stressed out and fatigued, um, it's easy to want to say, ah, fuck it. I'm going to have that extra beer. Ah, fuck it. I'm going to smoke that extra joint or whatever. Um, but really know yourself. If you think, you know, like with me, like, um, everything inflames me now. Inflammation is like the enemy for me. So I'm always trying to make sure, is that beer going to cause inflammation? Is that beer going to make me have insomnia? Because if I drink too much, I don't sleep, you know? And so, you know, maintaining that balance and just being very honest with yourself is where it's at. You know, it's very easy to just lie to yourself for years and years and years uh, and covering up a, 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 a trade or behavior that's not good. And so we have to, uh, you know, assess ourselves in a very frank and earnest way and then make the appropriate adjustments. So, yeah, absolutely. So it's just being aware of yourself and your body and your, yeah. your mind. And, right. And it's hard sometimes. Well, it is hard. because we all want to be cool We all want to be strong. We all want to be, you know, tough. We all want to be seen as someone who can handle their liquor or handle their weed or whatever. Um, And so, you know, peer pressure is a bitch, you know. Um, I've done some really stupid shit because of peer pressure, you know. (laughs) Um, And so that's where we're at, you know, in terms of, you know, the holidays and wintertime can be a really depressing time to be alive, especially when we're making negative associations to holidays with some past trauma. So if you're going through that, you guys, there, you know, I I am not a psychologist. I I don't legally have the ability to give you advice, but what I would say is, is, you know, sort your life out, mate, make good decisions. Um, Every time you make a good decision, you're putting your life just one step further, closer to your goals. And uh, if you make enough, my good micro decisions, 
uh, eventually your life's going to feel like you're in karmic harmony, if you will. You know, even mm-hmm. if, if you make enough bad decisions over time, uh, you'll get out of that karmic disharmony. And while I don't necessarily believe in karma, I do believe you can align yourself energetically into a good or evil or bad or good place. And so it's all about aligning yourself energetically positively, you know, so yeah. it's OK to drink a beer once in a while. It's OK mm-hmm. to smoke a little bit of pot here and there, but know your body. If you're the kind of person that, you know, just can't function the day after, well, then don't do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you're having stress and you don't know how to deal with that stress, uh, reach out to professionals. But um, exercise, nobody ever, nobody ever heard anything with a little bit of exercise, you know. Running for me is a godsend. If I didn't have running, uh, I would be a mess, you guys, mentally, physically. Me- God, running has done so much for me, and uh, I'm so thankful that my knees and my body still allows me to do it. I mean, occasionally my lower back hurts, but, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what we got. That's what we got. That's what we got. Sorry for the um, clearing of my throat earlier. I'm still looking... I've, I've read, doing a lot of research on cough buttons. I'm learning now that, uh, there are other ways I can, I can edit it in post. So maybe I'll start doing that. Um, just editing it in post where every time I cough, I'm looking at the clock where, oh, I I coughed at 30 minutes, (laughs) but, uh, we're always trying to improve this show for you guys. And we're always trying to give you guys, um, stories and anecdotes and advice that are, uh, relatable that you can um, use in your your life. That's what this is all about. It's about empowerment. It's about uh, mental health. It's about um, you know we're we're all these we're we're like adults are 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 like um, we're spiritual creatures and we all have a little infant inside us all, little baby, little kid, little toddler. And that toddler wants what it wants, gosh darn it. And it, that little toddler can be pure, but it can also be petty. And uh, it can, uh, you know, just f- staying in touch with your inner child, staying in touch with your um, grown adult, trying not to get too petty, keeping your uh, mental and emotional health uh, intact, in balance. Man, it is not easy these days. You know, truthfully, I... I I envy animals because even though sometimes they have it hard because they have no say over where they live or who they live with or things like that. God, how easy it would be just to just lay on the bed and relax all day every day and not have responsibilities. <laughs> oh, jealous. Yep. <laughs> but I'm be a cat. Yeah. Anyway, so um yeah, that's what this show's about. It's about trying to learn better habits. It's about Trying to identify the truth, whether that truth be about our own mental and emotional health, whether that truth be about uh, politics and the world at large. You know, I am not against anyone. I am not, uh, you know, I'm an agent of good. I'm here to help. And and, um, like I said, we have to become the carers in this world. And uh, while there's going to be many crazy and lunatic people out there that are going to always try to steal our joy. Um, and, and there's going to be people out there that give us bad advice. I hear all the time, you know, I follow all this Facebook stuff trying to give you fitness advice or giving you man advice. It's like, 
that's bad advice, man. Fuck. What? You know, so anytime, you know, use your, um, just use the mature, sensible part of your brain. Every time you hear advice, anytime somebody's trying to push you to do things that you're not comfortable with, there's probably a reason for that. Um, so be careful with your fitness. Yes, you can, you know, self-care is great. Um, fitness is great, but, you know, starving yourself all the time, um, you know, working out three, four hours a day, it's, it's unnecessary. It's overkill. And we have a tendency, uh, you know, a good thing, you know, if, if a little bit's enough, then more must be better. Right. And that's not always the case. So be careful with everything, uh, how to maintain a balance, you know, cause even fitness, you know, I was at a point where I was working out so often and all the time. And if I missed, I'd have severe like guilt and depression. It's like, now I take a day off. I'm like, fuck it. You know, I have allowed myself to relax into who I am. And that's the beauty of getting older is you don't care so much about your looks. You don't care so much about satisfying other people out there. You just kind of, you know, you kind of relax into yourself, you know? Yeah, for sure. I definitely have. You know, and that's a good yeah. thing. You know, that's what I mean about aging like a fine wine is we become more wise. Uh, we become more relaxed. Um if you have a natural inclination to be stressed out and twitchy, you know, um, find out, you know, that's what I mean about learning what your triggers are, because everything can trigger you in a world that's unfair, uh, systemic injustice, systemic inequality, politics. Oh, man, just it's easy to stay triggered and hyped up all the time. And so how do you find that sense of calm? You know, I said something the other day, like. Uh, some meme on my Instagram, you know, about maintaining your inner calm at all times. And then this uh, friend of ours that we know, she's like, easier said than done. And that's the point, you guys, is that most women, and I say women because I don't know, dudes are in denial. They're they're a separate category. But most ladies uh, are very emotionally mature. Um, but they're they're all, I think they overcomplicate their thinking. Uh, and so women have a tendency to have mental health problems more than men because men are just, I don't know if they're simple by design or simple by, uh, you know, our world making us that way. But I think women tend to be smarter and more mature than men. And as such, they put more responsibilities on themselves. And so they're because they're so naturally sensitive and naturally nurturing, a lot of times they don't know how to calm the fuck down. And so that's why... I talk about my uh, grandfather being the Obi-Wan Kenobi is he's, he taught me a sense of calm uh, to wet, to be calm. Even when you're in the eye of the storm to just observe, but don't allow everything to trigger you. And um, it's easier said than done. I know, you know, like she said, she was right. It is easier said than done, but you know, uh, I think the best way of doing that you guys is honestly is ask yourself, who do you want to be and how do you want to be? Maybe there's a grandmother or <clears throat> some mom figure out there that you respect and love. Uh, and she was just so calm under fire. You know, how do you take on her traits? How do you become the people and, you know, our heroes, the people who are just so gracious under fire, you know, we're all looking for that. And so that's what it's all about is we're trying to find that, um, and so, yeah, for me, I think the best way to do it is to be logical, assess what your triggers are, obsess, 
uh, assess what uh, things you do that are probably putting your life and your thinking out of balance, and then start writing pros and cons. This is my problem. This is what I think a possible solution could be. List, 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 list. And by the end of the day, as cliche as that is, um, the truth is, is that the only way we get better is by identifying what's going on, you know, and there's no shame in that. Not at all. You know, and no. so that's why I, you know, that's why, like, I admire, like, uh, Christians and religious people that are just so happy all the time. And these fitness people that are just so happy all the time. And it's like, oh, God, I don't, I don't know how they do it, man. You know, it's like, I mean, I'm a spiritual person, but. I don't know. Like I said, at a certain point, it feels to me like delusional thinking is where people are getting most of their happiness. Just delude yourself. And and that might work for a time. But see, that's the thing is what if what if you're deluding yourself into something that's not true or real, not necessarily religion, but could be anything. And then it only works for a time. And then that thing doesn't work anymore because one day you hit this wall where, oh, that's not working anymore. And then you you know, adapt more uh, coping mechanisms that are unhealthy to cover up your other coping mechanisms. So in other words, you're creating coping mechanisms on top of other coping mechanisms and you're just becoming this train wreck and and you're in this great uh, state of denial, you know. Mm -hmm. Denial ain't just a river in Egypt, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So we have to be very honest with ourselves. That's the point. Yep. You know? Yeah. So, well, thank you, babe. I think that went pretty good. Anytime on my day as off. Yeah. 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 And we didn't go to the dark side once. We did not. We had to pause Imagine to pee that. and cough and stuff. Let the cat in. <laughs> Let the cat you know, in, yeah. Life. It's life, baby. But um, that's what we're here for, you guys, is we're here to start an empath tribe. We're here for creatives and sensitives and introverts and all those folks who just fringe dwellers that don't quite fit in the mold, you know. That's what we're all about because that's who we are. And we've, you know, I'm okay with it, man. I wear my oddball shit and with pride, you know. Yep, absolutely. So let your freak flag fly, but uh, you know, don't get too freaky. Don't don't start breaking laws now. But uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's all about, you know, uh, um, that's what progressiveness is. It's about getting rid of all those regressive and oppressive mentalities that force us. Uh, to feel like we have to fit in or conform in ways that are unhealthy. That's not good. You know? I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, thank you guys so very much for uh, joining us today. Uh, we're going to let you go, but, um, yeah, you know, that's what life is all about, is about assessing and identifying what's going wrong and finding <clears throat> proactive ways to solve it, you know? Um it's easy to let your problems surmount, surmount, surmount until you're like my chiropractor buddy. You're just sitting there with a stack of charts going, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did that in high school <clears throat> this one time. I was in art and I didn't want to do them. I'm like, oh, I don't want to because I didn't want to do art, but I had to do it because I was if I didn't, I wasn't going to graduate. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, well, if you do all the assignments you're missing, I'll give you full credit for them. So I spent this weekend drawing and drawing and drawing and drawing. And I, I literally spent like 23, 24 hours this whole weekend doing it. I barely slept and I got them all in. And guess what? I got an A in art. There you go. <laughs> but, but that's not what we want to do, you guys. Yeah. Is we don't want to have to let our problems surmount to the point where they become insurmountable. It's always about bite-sized 
digestible pieces, you know, life, you know. And that's what I tell you guys. If if you don't want to listen to two hour and a half of podcast, listen to me, you know, 30 minutes a day. That's all it takes. I don't expect you guys to listen um, all at once necessarily, unless you like to. But, you know, digestible pieces. That's how we get through life is digestible pieces. Don't take on all your problems all at once, man. Bad idea. But uh, just, you know, reach out to people who uh, got your back. Sometimes we need those smart, wise people to give us, you know, uh, either the truth, the tough, the, you know, we either need the tough love or we need people to say it's okay to take a day off. It's okay to self-care. Sometimes we just need permission. We, we need to give ourselves permission when we're going through something, you know? Absolutely. So yeah. anyways, yeah. thank you, baby, for helping me uh with the show today. You're welcome. I love having you on. It's great. But uh, <laughs> thanks, you guys, so much. We will see you next week. We've got two more for you. Uh, I'm doing a bunch of research for the science of empaths, and we will get that to you next week. But um, thanks, you guys. Have a good one. Enjoy your Christmas season. Yes, it's a good time to be alive. But uh, if you're having a bah humbug time, if you're having uh, stresses and anxieties and negative memories that are attached to your positive uh, holidays try to isolate those in any way you can um, you may need therapy you may need professional help but if you can try not to see you know those bad memories in conjunction with the time that it happened if you can somehow separate the two you're going to do a lot better for yourself i think you know that's where yeah. it's all about so anyways you guys we love you You guys have a good one, and Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and we will see you next week. Have a good day. Bye.